Thanks for joining us on the Southside Church Podcast. We seek to build real followers of Jesus, so we hope that you find this message both encouraging and insightful. Let's jump in. Hey, Southside, great to be with you today and excited about opening God's word for you as we continue to talk about rhythm and finding rhythm in your walk with God. Last week, last week we opened the Bible to Acts chapter two. We will continue that all the way through to the completion of that chapter for this month as we deal with the word rhythm, not balance. See, balance is a myth. Balance is impossible. For us to find balance uh, is very difficult, if not impossible, to do. And I think it's highly overrated. What we want to find are rhythms that work in our life. And in order to find that, what does that mean? I mean, I know we know what the word rhythm means, but, but let's define it so that we all are on the same page. A rhythm or rhythm is a strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement. Strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement, something that is strong. Man, if I'm going to have rhythm in my life, I want rhythm, not necessarily balance between work and home. I want rhythm between work and home. I want rhythm when it comes to my family and my friendships. I want, I want good quality time there. I want rhythm in the way that I eat, exercise, and sleep. I want a healthy rhythm to that. And more than anything, I want a healthy rhythm to my faith. Because here is my tendency. This is my nature. I want to be in control. I want to sit in the center control seat of life. The problem with that is that's idolatry. And that is not where my seat is. That seat is intended for God and him alone. I want Jesus to be the center of everything that I do. And so that means that I need a good, healthy rhythm when it comes to my relationship with him. And so I believe that if you have a a, a good, healthy rhythm to your faith, it's going to produce great results in your life. So I want a strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement. Okay, Matthew, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11, and this is taken from the message, which is a paraphrase version of scripture, but Jesus said this. This is, these are the words of the Savior. He said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? I mean, I'm just going to ask you that. Are you tired? Yes. Are you, are you worn out? Yes. Some of us are even burned out on religion. Have you been hurt by the church? Some people have. Have you been hurt by someone in the church? Some people have. Do you wonder where God is or what God is up to? Some people wonder that. But here's reality. A lot of us are tired. A lot of us are worn out. A lot of us are burned out. Jesus said, come to me. Just just take this in and let it speak peace into your soul. Jesus said, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. You'll you'll recover your life. He said, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythm of grace. Learn the rhythms of grace that are unforced. Sometimes it feels like 
maybe in our relationship with God or in the church world or just in life, we're having to force things. Jesus said, when you learn this rhythm of grace, it's unforced. You don't have to, you don't have to force it. This is what he's saying. He said, the right rhythm can bring peace and purpose to your life. The right rhythm can bring peace and purpose to your life today. I believe that. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about this unforced rhythm of grace. Last week, we talked about the right rhythm is found when you know God. And knowing God, according to Peter in in Acts chapter 2, he said, you know God when you know his son, receive his spirit, and obey his word. That's That's where they were. That's that's where they were at this moment. The church at this particular time was about 120 people gathered in one place, scared to death, confused, wondering what was going to happen, praying, waiting on God, doing what Jesus said, and then all of a sudden, bam, the day of Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit arrives, invades their life, and dwells them. They all begin to speak, the people that are listening here in their own language, and wow, a crowd forms. That's where they are. And the people, these people wanted to know, man, what what does this mean? (laughs) Some of the people there, the naysayers there, they they were like, man, they're drunk. These people have been drinking. Peter said, no way, it's too early in the morning, which either means they don't drink or it's too early to drink. I don't know. But Peter's like, no, we're not drinking. We're not drunk. This is of God. And he begins to preach and he begins to speak. The power of God falls on that place. And, 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 and what happens? We see a rhythm of grace come about in this area. So the unforced rhythm of grace, what is it about and what does it look like? Over the next three weeks, we'll talk about this. We'll talk about this is what the unforced rhythm of grace looks like. Commitment, community, consistency. Say that with me. Say commitment. Say community. Say consistency. Commitment, community, consistency. Because when you know God and you know his son and you receive his spirit and obey his word, then we're ready to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So come with me. Today we're going to talk about commitment. Commitment. What is commitment? Commitment is, is commitment and action. It's, it's, it's putting feet to your beliefs. It's more than words. It is action. And the word here that they use in Acts chapter 2 is the word devotion. Look at what he says. So those who accepted his message were baptized. They didn't just believe it. They received it, and they committed their lives to it. They took steps of faith. You see, for them, when Peter's preaching, he's telling them that this is what happened, that the person that they yelled crucify about was the very author of life. He's telling them, you killed the author of life. You crucified him. You put him on the cross. See, for us, the cross is a symbol of grace, mercy, love, forgiveness. For them, it was seen as a place of torture, a place of punishment. And now, for them, they're seeing it is a place of conviction and guilt, not of Christ, but of theirs. Because now they've learned two things after this message about Jesus. They were wrong about him, number one. And number two, they were guilty for putting him on the cross. So the cross became a place where they met their own sin. They saw their own failure, their own shortcoming, and they were cut to their heart. And they said, what do we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. 
I will tell you this today. This is every person on the planet. We are sinners. We are lost. We are on our way to hell, except for the grace and the love, mercy, forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to salvation. And it is only through him that you can find everlasting life. And so today, you are at a place where everybody can take a step. You either need to call him Christ and Lord. You need to accept him as Savior. You need to make him Lord of your life. Maybe you need to repent of sin and get rid of it. Maybe you need to take the gifts and abilities and talents he's given you and put them back to work. Maybe you need to go public with your faith and be baptized. But everybody's got a step they can take today. So those who accepted his message that day were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. You can tell it was a preacher writing it because he said about. I mean, he could have been 300, but he said about 3,000. I'm just kidding. But really what he's saying here is, he said, look, there's 3,000 people. It was, a, it, was, it was crazy. What a move. The church in one day went from 120 to over 3,000 people. In one moment, then this is what you see. Here's the unforced rhythm of grace. And they devoted themselves. What is devotion? All devotion is, is commitment with action. It's commitment and action coming together, putting feet to it. And they devoted themselves. They committed themselves with action to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. This is what they did. They went from decision to devotion. What decision do you need to take or have you made that you need to take to devotion today? You need to put feet to it and make it go to work. Four things today marked the early church. And we just read about them in Acts 2, 42. Four things marked the early church. The apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and the prayers. The first thing we talk about are the apostles' teaching. Four things mark the early church, the apostles' teaching. Not just, not just teaching, not just any teaching, but the teaching. The apostles' teaching. The 12 apostles, they are teaching the word. And this is, that's, that's, that's all they did. They taught what they saw Jesus say and do. They are speaking of the things that they have heard. They are taking Old Testament teaching. They are combining it to the message of the Messiah through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they are sharing that message. And they have a captive audience all over Jerusalem. The church is expanding by the day. It's growing in record numbers. It is exp- exploding without this throughout this city. And it says this in John chapter 8, Jesus talks about the truth because that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with truth. It's always been about truth. People have always wondered what is truth. Pilate asked Jesus that before he sentenced him to be crucified. He said, what is truth? Everybody deals with that question. What is truth? And Jesus has it. He said to a group of people gathered one day, listening to him, contemplating what they should do. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, Just believed him. If you continue in my word, keep coming, keep coming. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. To the people who were wondering, contemplating, what should they do? Jesus said, keep coming. Continue in my word. Then you will really be my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He said in Matthew 28, he told his disciples that day, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What are they doing? This is something that marked the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And it wasn't one day a week, one hour a week. It was every day. We'll see that later. But they had commitment to their faith. They wanted to take that grace and learn the unforced rhythms of that grace. Let it become a part of who they are, flow from their life, that it would be the center of everything that they are, and it would influence everything that they do. Jesus said, you want to know something that marked the early church? The apostles' teaching. Number two, the fellowship. Not just fellowship, but the fellowship. He's talking about the assembly, the gathering of people together. The fellowship. The fellowship of believers, the fellowship of those that are moving together. I'll tell you this, I believe this, everybody needs a church. Everybody needs a pastor, a coach, and a counselor. But I think everybody needs that. Everybody needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. But not everybody's going to do that. Not everybody is going to say yes. But when you do, you need us, and we need you. The church is for you. The church is here, not just to meet your needs, not just to be there for you, but so that it can pour into you and you can pour it out into others. The fellowship was a mark of the church. It was their gathering together, and they did it corporately and locally. They did it in homes. They did it in different places. They did it in the temple. They gathered together. This was about the fellowship of believers. This is what we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It says two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to help him. He's talking about help. He's talking about people moving in the same direction. People that are on a journey together. Companions and partners in this thing. He says also if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We're talking about commitment. We're talking about the fellowship of people like minds, like hearts, like lives, living and walking together. Three, we see this. We see the breaking of bread. By the way, they used to call, this was something they called the early church when they talked about the fellowship. They called them the colony of heaven. They didn't call them the colony of the church. They didn't call them the colony of Southside or, or Christianity or Baptist or Pentecostal or Methodist or this. They referred to them as the colony of heaven. Wow. The breaking of bread. 
See, I love how they say it in Acts 2, the, uh, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. Come on, somebody. You know, if the church going to get together, we got to break some bread. We got to break some bread together. We got to do that, all right? That's not just talking about food and around a table. He's talking about two things here. He's talking about gathering and eating and doing life together, and he's talking about communion Jesus told them that. Jesus told them, and it's repeated here in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul said, for I received from the Lord what I pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. Why? Because they were having a meal. He took bread and he gave thanks for that bread. He prayed for it and he thanked God for it and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're going to practice that today. Do this in remembrance of me. But you can practice, practice this anywhere you go. You can practice this in a restaurant, in your house. You can practice it anywhere. Wherever you got bread and something to drink, man, you can do that. You can take and make that apart. Man, he, God said, wherever you do this, whenever you gather together. And he said in the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. See, these four things mark the early church, the teaching, the truth, the fellowship of those believers, the breaking of bread together, coming together, listening to truth, learning together, coming together in fellowship together with one another. And, and that meant, men they served together, they worked together, they lived together, they, they, they did all of these things together. They form relationships together because relationships encourage action that lead to life change. They broke bread together. They ate together. They shared stories in life together. They took communion. They remembered the Lord Jesus' body. They remembered the blood that was spilled for them. See, remember the cross to them. Before they saw the grace of God, it was a place where their guilt was on that cross. They put him there. They saw the blood spilled. They saw his body broken. They saw it. They did it. They were proud of it. And now they are broken. They're begging God for mercy and forgiveness, and he's given it. What did they do? They got baptized. You know, that cost them something in that day. That cost them their family many times. cost them their standing in society. It cost them their job, their livelihood. It cost them something. The problem with Christianity in America today is it don't cost us anything. It don't cost us much. Maybe that's the reason we're weak, timid, afraid, defeated. We, can, we think the church is a place we come and hide. It's not a place where you come and hide. It's a place you come and you receive power. You receive forgiveness and mercy. You find healing. You find joy. You find energy and purpose so that you can take that out into the world this week and use it to bring glory to God. So I don't know what happened to you last week. I don't know if you got beat up or you won the battle. I don't know what's coming this week, and neither do you. But I do know this. God is God. Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit is real. His truth is powerful. The fellow 
fellowship is here. Let's break bread. Let's enjoy the time together. And let's remember this moment and go do something with it. Commitment. It's commitment. The unforced rhythm of grace. Commit to it. And finally, the prayers. Why the prayers? Why not prayer? Because they're talking about public and private praying. They prayed together publicly. They prayed alone privately. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites because they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. He said, I assure you, they got their reward. He said, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He said, when you pray, don't babble like the idolaters since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. He said, don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask them. And then he goes in and he says, if you don't know how to pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, our Lord be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. In, in, in first, first Timothy chapter 2, Paul wrote, First of all then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Boy, we need that today. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior. Who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? He says, For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus himself, human, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. Colossians 3 says, let the message about the Messiah, about Christ, dwell richly among you, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. He's talking about a relationship with God that is both private and public. See, today, take this home with you. Jesus doesn't want deciders. Jesus wants disciples. He doesn't want deciders. He wants disciples. That's what he wants. And so what does it take to grow my faith? I'll tell you what it takes. Make a move. Make a move today. Make a move today. Do something today. Do you know Christ is your Savior? If not, make a move. Are you living in sin and you need to repent? If so, come to the altar and make a move. If you, if you need to make him Lord of your life and just get things right, make a move. If you need to go public with your faith and be baptized, make a move. If you want to join the church, if you want to get plugged into ministry, make a move. You want to join a small group and get it plugged in? Make a move. But do something today. And then go practice the presence of Jesus this week. That's what it takes to grow your faith. That's what it takes to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Make a move. And practice the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. So wherever you are, whatever's going on in your world, stay with me right here in this moment.
because everybody's got a move to make. If you don't have a church, come make this one your church. Come see us in Redstone or Commerce. If, if, if you want to repent, you need somebody to talk to, a pastor to encounter, let us know at the end of this feed. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. Let us help you. And you want to, you, you, you want to be a part of a small group? Come on, let's go. Let's go together. If you don't know Christ today as your Savior, then pray this with me right now. Declare it with everything that you've got. Believe it with everything inside of you. Say, Father God, I believe in you. I believe you sent your only son to be my Savior. Say to Jesus, Jesus, forgive me for my sin by your grace. Restore me to you. Say, Jesus, be the Savior and Lord of my life. I'm ready to follow you, and I say yes to you today. If you prayed that with me, if you said that with me, let us know right here at the end of this thing. Follow the prompts. Let us know and let us help you practice the presence of Jesus. Make a move. God bless you. If you made that decision today to say, yes, I do want to choose Jesus. I do want to acknowledge him as my personal Lord and Savior. Congratulations. We could not be more excited for you. And we want to help you in that process and answer any questions that you might have and provide you resources. To do that, simply text Jesus, that's J-E-S-U-S, to 706-449-0870. And one of our pastors on staff will be in touch with you because we want to help you as you walk out your faith. If you thought, you know what, I would like to contribute to all that God is doing in and through Southside. I would like to partner with Him. You can do that in three simple ways. First, you can text GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 706-449-0870. Secondly, you can do it on the Southside app in the Give tab. Lastly, Southside.online. You can do it through the Give section on our website. Thank you so much for being here with us today, and we hope you have a great rest of your week.